lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news good news announcing peace proclaiming news of happiness our God reigns our God reigns our God reigns our God reigns you may be seated how lovely on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim to Zion, your God reigns. I am told today um, is, the sun, is, the, is, the, is the day of observance of the, of the annual uh, observance of the Mission Society. And I come looking at the text that we have um, read today uh, in Isaiah and in Matthew, at the good news, at the table that the Lord has laid out, and especially the table the Lord has laid out in my continent of Africa, where I come from. We have just come from Thanksgiving, where we have laid out a feast with our family. We have had celebrations. We have enjoyed time together. Growing up in rural Africa, our grandmothers and mothers generally measured out our food portions very carefully. My grandmother, with whom I grew up, was particularly good at stretching a small portion of grain to ensure that there was always a meal every evening, even if there was not a meal for the rest of the day, and to ensure that the portion of grain would last through the season. Grandma was also particularly good at reserving a bit of the grain so that when the rain came, when the, the, the planting season came, there would be seed. Because you see, in rural Africa, if you eat your seed, uh, you will not be able to plant um, in the new season. And among rural peasant communities that depend on seasonal cycles of weather, food is often scarce, so it was not just an experience of my family. Abundance, especially to the point of extravagance, is an American problem, a first world problem, worth solving. <laughs> the first time I visited America in 2003, I came to a student mission conference at Albana and I encountered extravagance of a vast dining room full of rich, nutritious, colorful food, delicious, serve all you can eat buffet. Of course, I piled my plate high. What do you expect? <laughs> and I probably still do in the dining cafe over here. Wait till I visited the overstocked grocery stores. Recently, in your news cycle, there's so much talk of problems with the supply chains and empty grocery stores. And I look at them and go like, what empty stores? 
you have first of all problems of an indulged society, not in adequate food supplies. Perhaps your favorite brand of cereal is missing, but you have no idea what it means to be unable to access bare essentials of life, including basic medication that you can buy over the counter to save life. And so when Jesus said, um, in, in, uh, uh, Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. When Jesus observed a rich man ask for eternal life on the cheap. I also think it is hard for an American to grasp the literal, let alone the symbolic significance of the text that we have read today in both Matthew and in Isaiah. Isaiah envisions God's, God laying out a feast of rich, nutritious food for all people on his holy mountain, referring to the city of Jerusalem, where we, we shall also join in the feast of Abraham, as you know, we see in, uh, throughout the New Testament and in Revelation. And that includes all the heroes of faith uh, in the book of Hebrews, where even us, Gentile outsiders, are invited to join in this party that God is preparing in heaven, where uh, not only would the Lord lay a feast, he will decisively remove the shadow that covers all nations. John the Revelator said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. The Lord will swallow up death forever and wipe away tears from all faces and remove the disgrace and indignity of his people from the earth, writes Isaiah. And it will be said, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. In Matthew's text, we have an extravagant display of Jesus laying out a feast for rural peasant folk who have been listening to him for three days and he has compassion on them because they have had nothing to eat. Let me tell you something. Missiologists agree that we carry out the mission, uh, we carry out mission in the cusp of the already and not yet. This is a familiar idea for those of you who have studied mission. We are actively taking part in the kingdom of God, in what God is doing through the church in the world, in the present moment. Although the not yet means it will not full its uh, full expression until sometime in the future. But for the moment, focus with me, focus your reflection on the mission in the already, in the present moment, in what God is doing, in the concrete now. You know, when Jesus goes to his hometown, takes a scroll and reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's easy to read that into the future. But we look at the Matthew text and we look at the Gospels and see what he is doing. He is literally doing it in the present, in the moment. 
And if you come from <laughs> rural <laughs> countryside, you know, among peasant folk, especially people who have been on the margin of structures of, and systems of power, you will know how significant it is. You know, and he, Jesus sits down and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then eventually in that text, people say, hey, <laughs> what are you talking about? Who again are you? And you know, um, who anointed you to be prophet? Well, let me tell you, today, as in the historical moment we live in, God's promise to lay out a feast in Isaiah and demonstrated in the work that Jesus does in the Gospels has been fulfilled in my continent of Africa. I want to highlight in very broad strokes, aware that I'm speaking to, um, you know, to, to, missiolo to, to the missiological community uh, primarily. I want to highlight three ways, just as a taste of God's feast in Africa over the last century. The gospel has transformed the African continent in very significant ways. It's easy to focus on the problems and on what is wrong and on what is working. It's easy to focus on how mission uh, has been part of a, of a problem, problematic narrative as well. And it is easy to miss the miracle that runs throughout the scriptures and that runs throughout the New Testament and that has run throughout Christian history, that the Christian faith has been translated and transmitted, you know, century after century, year after year, day after day, to new generations and to new societies. And in my world that I come from, and some of us here come from, the Lord has been doing this miracle of laying out a feast. First, the translation of Christian truth that has produced massive charismatic people movements facilitating conversion and liberation, formation of radical Christian communities that are new kinship systems in the face of broken kinship systems that were destroyed um, you know, from the colonial era and the formation of the nation states. The realization of a Christian telos that moves converts from spiritual homelessness and spiritual hopelessness to purposeful living. There's so much one could talk about in that uh, dimension. When you read about the enduring character of the African independent churches, you know that endure to date, the flourishing of Pentecostalism, and more recently, even the rapid of urban mega churches of which I write about. All these are people movements that have emerged a critical historical moment and in the experience of Africa, of Africa's problems. And in those moments, God has laid out a feast that is the translation of the gospel to communities, to individuals, to demographics that would otherwise have been excluded and alienated. And the, the, he has brought the life-changing power of the gospel. Second, the gospel has changed Africa through the transfer of power. 
That is giving agency to these new generations, especially to ordinary people. Whereas politics, the political system would give power to the big man. It is the gospel that has often given power to new generations by raising the young, the youth, children, young people, new leaders, and empowering them to be able to look forward to the future with hope and to inspire their fellow uh, uh, humans uh, or people alongside. And the church in all its forms, when I talk about the church, it's the church in all its forms uh, that has been raising uh, locally formed indigenous, uh, culturally responsive uh, leaders uh, in key moments of the continent. As an, an anecdote, I was part of a research project carried out, the Africa Leadership Survey, and it's published by the Orbis Books, so you can look that up. The Africa Leadership Survey between 2011 and 2017, where we asked Christians, 8,300 Christians plus, in Central Africa, Republic of Congo, in, in, um, in, in Kenya, and in Angola, representing the three linguistic groups, um, to identify specific leaders who are making a difference. And we stayed away from the publicly known leaders. We wanted to get the grassroots leaders. Pastors were identified among the many good findings of that research as one of the most influential leader figures in local communities. Scholars have observed that churches and church-affiliated organizations, parachurches, tend to be the visible form of civil society, especially in the absence of functional government systems of proper civil society across the continent. And naturally, many play many key roles in the lives of ordinary African leaders. I can't even begin to tell you story upon story of women you know, of men and women, of young people that have started initiatives and things that have completely transformed um, the small communities and brought them closer to a better vision of living and even a better vision of the gospel. But let me skip over that uh, and tell you the third way. So when Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everybody who believes. You know, once again, it is not a vision of out there, somewhere distant. It's not merely symbolic. It's very real. It's very present for many people, especially that are going through convulsive change. And the third way is that the gospel has been central to the transformation of social structures. I have named trans, um, the the the. Um, the, the translation of Christian truth, this, these are missiological themes. The um, transfer of power and the tra transformation of Africa's social structures on a large scale. A famous research by Robert D. Woodbury uh, in, a missionary, in an article where he writes about the missionary roots of liberal democracy demonstrates that historically and statistically, missionaries heavily influenced the rise and spread of stable democracies around the world and especially in Africa. And there's a visible difference between where missionaries went and where they did not go in how those nations have turned out over the last century. Because missionaries and ultimately the movements of, you know, they sent that image after them as a reaction. That's a good thing in the process of Christian transmission and trans translation of the gospel. Ultimately, all of that have contributed to the, to the creation of a society that is more wholesome, 
that is uh, forward-looking forward and there's a clear association between the progress made in the democratic stability and the presence of the church in many places. My co-author, I am here because I'm doing a research project uh, with Bill Sachs and we are writing the 200 mission uh, history of Virginia Theological Seminary. We're testing a very unique idea that has not been tested in Christian mission. We have provisionally titled uh, our book, Becoming Religious Cosmopolitans. This is provisional. Um, and in this, we want to tell a narrative that shows Virginia uh, seminary missionaries how they participated in the creation of an imagined cosmopolitan world generally how they were part of creating. It's not so much a progressive vision, you know, but it, part of creating new communities bonded by faith and a common claim to the faith of Israel that we have inherited. Bonded by the sacraments, resourced by international networks and multilingual and uh, multicultural relationship in the creation, not of a perfect world, but a better world that can testify to Isaiah's vision um, of God acting in the present mo moment to lay out a feast for all the world. So I want to end up by asking, what shall we do now? What are, you, are we going to do about this? I have one suggestion for you. This Advent season, engage your food differently. Look at your food differently. Not merely as food, <laughs> and not just the, 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 the sacraments of communion, uh, which we, you know, we come with all reverence, and not because your mother said, eat your food, because there are children starving in Africa, that was a terrible stereotype, but because you will see regular food as a new sacrament, and an, a sign. It's a sacrament, a representation of God's reign in the here and now. And this should take away the sense of hopelessness that we seem to be getting fixated on, the problems we seem to be fixated, fixated on in our current world today. Let us be able to see the very miracle represented, not just in food, but in the material provisions that you have in this day. Look at that with thankfulness and look forward to that as an outward sign of a divine miracle of God's continuing work of salvation uh, in the world. In, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.